Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Good to see you, grateful for our worship team and uh, just a sweet time of Christ-centered worship today. And I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Table of Contents. And uh, we... (laughs) We are continuing, as Evan said before our service began, we're continuing our series, The Summer in the Minors. And after today, we only have two weeks left. And that means over the last two summers, we will have journeyed through all 12 of the minor prophets, getting a better understanding of what the book is about, uh, how it points us to Jesus, and and how that book can make a real difference in our life. And so uh, I want to invite you to be turned to the book of Haggai is where we're going to be today, Haggai. As you're turning there, I just want to let you know... uh, I had mentioned this several weeks ago, but uh, myself and some of our staff members uh, made our way to Anaheim, California this last week. I know you feel sorry for me. Um, it was a high of 71 degrees every day. It was really, it was really rough, I know. Uh, but we were there for the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, I just want to report back to you. I'm very grateful for how it went. Um, almost unanimously, the over 8,000 messengers, uh, people just like you, people who attend a, are members of a Southern Baptist church, uh, were there and voted almost unanimously in favor of the recommendations that were laid out by the Sex Abuse Task Force that I had mentioned. Uh, and, uh, and so very thankful that that journey is underway, beginning that journey. Uh, also elected some uh, great leaders, I believe, for the days ahead. And the highlight for me every year at the Southern Baptist Convention is the commissioning of new missionaries. And so uh, last week, there were 52 new missionaries that were commissioned uh, to go, some of them uh, to, to the hardest places on earth to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what's awesome. It's because you're a part of a Southern Baptist church, uh, when you give, uh, and we say all the time, your giving makes a difference. Part of that giving that you give on a week-by-week basis helps to send those 52 missionaries that you you've never met, but you're helping provide for them, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we celebrate, yeah, we can celebrate that. So, so it's just a great week of taking some good steps forward and, uh, and excited about, about the future. Uh, and I do want to say happy Father's Day. Uh, we got some dads in the room. We got some great, uh, some, some granddads in the room, maybe some great granddads in the room. Uh, but I hope today is special for you. You have pastoral privilege to uh, eat wherever you want today. Uh, you, you have pastor's permission to, uh, to get a nap today. And anything that is on the honeydew list, you don't have to do today. So you're off the hook. <clears throat> now, I, I don't know about you, but we, we always have something on the honeydew list. I, I don't know. Some of you are like this, dads, not dads, moms, uh, anybody in the room. You're really good at starting, not always good at finishing. Anybody? Right? You get excited about demo day. You don't get real excited about pickup day, Right? Right? We, we live with this thing of maybe starting projects, getting things rolling, getting going, but we don't always finish them, right? We, we, that, that's who, for a lot of us, that's the way that we're wired. And I think what can be an encouragement for you today, or maybe for some of you dads, an excuse for some of you today, is that that's always been the case. That's always been the case of people who can be excited to start, but not always real good about finishing. And today, we're going to see that to be the case in the book of Haggai. 
in the book of Haggai. So if you're there, I want to remind you the way that we're navigating these these minor prophets, we're doing what's really called a survey. That that means a 30,000 foot look at at these books, take an entire book in one message, all right? And the way that we're navigating that is by looking at bases. So we've talked about first base being the background information of the book to get some context of what's being said in the book. Second base is biblical observations. Like when we look at the actual book, what do we see? What do we observe about the book? Then we go to third base, which is gospel revelation. And we've told you all through this series and all last summer that even in the minor prophets, they point us to the hero, to the centerpiece of the Bible, who is God himself, Jesus. And so we're going to see on third base how even in the book of Haggai, it points us to Jesus. And then finally, we'll come home and talk about life application, meaning what does the book of Haggai have to do with your life? How does it impact you as you navigate your life? And so today, as we walk through the book of Haggai, our main idea today is this, is that in a believer's life, kingdom work is the priority. In the believer's life, kingdom work is the priority. Obviously, when we say believer there, we're using in the sense that the New Testament often uses the word of what it means to believe in Christ. It's not a affirming some theoretical idea or to affirm a set of facts, but it is belief in such a way that it brings about change in your life. It's the picture of what we saw uh, with these young men that were baptized today. It is fellowship. It is believing to the point of bringing out obedience in my life. And so, so when we say a believer, we're not just saying affirming some facts. We're saying the one who has given their life by faith to Christ and now aspiring to live out that faith journey in a way that honors God. So for that person, for the believer, in the believer's life, kingdom work is the priority. Let's begin with Haggai chapter 1. verse 1, and let's talk about first base and some background information. Look at what it says here. In the second year of King Darius... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. All right, now this verse right here gives us some good idea of what's going on. And again, the context helps us appreciate the substance of what we're going to find in this book. It tells us here some specifics. It says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the, through the prophet Haggai. What we're going to find about this book is that this book is the first of the post-exilic prophets. Now, what does that mean? Well, you may remember that in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they took God's people back to Babylon. This is what we were talking about last week with Zephaniah. If you remember, we talked about a day of the Lord where Zephaniah was saying a day of the Lord is coming. Well, that was the day of the Lord, that the Babylonians would come in and would exile God's people out of Israel and take them back to Babylon. This was part of God's judgment and part of his discipline on people that he loved. Well, as a part of that, they would go into captivity and Jerusalem laid in ruins. But then, about 70 years later, we're going to find that God, being faithful to his promise, that he would bring his people back. Initially, it wouldn't be everybody. It would be about 43,000 people. And King Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, who had now defeated the Babylonians... Isaiah would actually prophesy decades and decades before that there would be a king named Cyrus who would do this. But Cyrus gives permission to the Israelites to return. 
Not only does he give him permission to return, he says, I'm going to resource you in your return to rebuild Jerusalem. So we find even in the book of Ezra, we see this, this, this account of God's people coming back out of captivity to rebuild Jerusalem, the city of David. So when we come to Haggai chapter 1, we see that we are now on the backside of their exile and they have come back and they have returned. What we find is that when they return, they come and they begin to rebuild. They begin by building an altar to God and their next step is they build a foundation for the temple. Now, to remind you, the temple is the central figure in the city of Jerusalem. It is more than just a building. It is the place where they worship God through the sacrificial system as God had laid out for them in the Old Testament. But more than that, it was the symbolic presence of God among his people. The temple, it represented that God truly was with his people in his temple. So the temple was significant. It was very significant for the identity of the people, for their understanding of God as the center of who we are. But it had been destroyed. So now they come back. They build this altar to God. They build the foundation. They began to work on that honey-do list. And then they get busy. They get busy with a lot of things that are not necessarily bad things, but they're not the most important thing. And so what we're going to find in the book of Haggai is, I love as one commentator says, that Haggai was able to call a weary, discouraged, and self-indulgent community of his peers to a renewed commitment to things that were far more important than their own personal and mundane concerns. So that's first base, the background information of the book. The people have come back, they've started to rebuild, but they're not, they haven't finished the work. And in that place, let's move to second base and look at the biblical observations. What do we find when we come to the book of Haggai? The first thing that I want us to see, and really this is all of chapter 1, is that kingdom people prioritize kingdom work. Kingdom people prioritize kingdom work. If you look at verse 2 through verse 4, you see where Haggai is going to make a call to his peers, to his people about the reality of where they find themselves. Look at what it says here. The Lord of armies says this. These people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You can see there's a question that's asked there, but it's a question that comes with a lot of weight. It comes with a lot of substance. Haggai speaking on behalf of the Lord as the prophet would do, the mouthpiece of God to the people. Haggai makes an observation. He says, after 16 years of laying the foundation. Is it not that the Lord's house is still in ruins while you yourselves are living in paneled houses? This question came with a point of reflection. The people had to consider, well, you know what? Haggai's right. 
He's right on the fact that over 16 years, we have had plenty of time to do what we think is important. And that is evidenced by the homes that we live in. But just as I said, the, the centrality of the temple, not just to the architecture of the city, but to the people and what it represented. That God here through the prophet Haggai would say, what's the deal? What's the deal? My, my house still lies in ruins. If you look with me at verse 5 down through about verse 11, you see that, that the Lord, through the prophet Haggai, is going to continue to make some observations. In verse 5, he's going to use a phrase that's important for us today. He says this, I want you to think carefully. I want you to think carefully. And he's going to rehash their memories, if you will. He's going to walk them through the reality of what life has looked like. So you look at verse 6, he's saying, uh, listen, you've planted much and harvested little. You've eaten, but you don't have enough. You drink and you never, never have enough to be happy. Look at the last part there, verse 6. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. It's kind of like filling up with gas lately, huh? Right? What God is doing, he's saying, listen, over, the, over these 16 years, you, you laid a foundation. But the priorities of your life have shifted from me to yourself. And as we think about that journey, what he's observing for is life just doesn't add up. I, I, I'm busy and I'm pursuing and I'm chasing, but I'm not fulfilled. Some of us, we know that feeling, don't we? If I can just get that next promotion. If we can just move into this size house. If I can just have this car. Or it's this constant pursuit, this constant desire to be filled, and yet we find this consistent emptiness in our life. Verse 7, we see the phrase again, the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. The end of verse 9, because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Does this have to do with the temple? Absolutely. God cares about the temple and the place that it served for his people in Israel. But what God is speaking to even more here than the reality of the condition of the temple is the condition of the heart of his people. They have become self-indulgent. They, they have become so focused on their own life and in their own pursuits, the Lord is no longer the priority in their life. This is the role of the prophet. It is the prophet to speak hard truths into the ears and, more importantly, the hearts of the people. And the question is, how do they respond? Right? It's, it's in my role as, as a pastor, as a preacher. But at times, my role calls for the function of a prophet to speak hard things into your life. Not because I don't like you. In fact, it's quite the opposite because I do like you and I do love you and I know that I will be held accountable to the Lord to say hard things. The goal is not to say hard things for the sake of saying hard things. The heart behind saying hard things to people you love is to bring about the change you know that needs to come. And so Haggai here is the mouthpiece for God. He says there in verse 9, right, because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. He's saying this, listen, you're kingdom people. 
So you need to prioritize kingdom work in your life. If you say that you're a follower of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, then you follow him first. That's why we sing today a song like, Come Thou Fount, and in that phrase, above all else. Above all else. What is that? It's a statement of priority. And we see... From the Old Testament at times where a prophet would say hard things to people that he loved and they would respond by killing him. But that's not the case here. If you look with me in verse 12 through the end of chapter 1, what we see is the response of the people. Look with me in verse 12. It says, then Zerubbabel, that's a fun name to say by the way. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the high priest of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant Of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. What you see take place here in verse 12, as I heard one pastor say, this is a preacher's dream. This is a preacher's dream as he gets up and serves as that mouthpiece for God and says, Listen, things aren't right between you and the Lord. And so repent, get right with the Lord, and walk in obedience. And what we see here is the people say, okay, we'll do it. You tell us to do it, we'll, we'll do it. That's what I was telling these young men before the service started. I went up there to encourage them and to tell them how excited I am for them. I said, you guys understand that today is, yes, man, it's a special day for you as you're honoring God. But, but more than that, it's an encouragement to our people. For some of you in here, you've been a believer 20, 30, 40 years of your life, and you've never followed through in believer's baptism, but what you're seeing today are some young men that are just saying, okay, God tells me that I need to be baptized. Okay, I'll do it. It's simple obedience. It's prioritizing the word of God and the call of God on our lives. And so what we had seen happen in chapter 1 is that they weren't doing that. And yet Jesus will tell us in Matthew 6, but seek first. That means make it the priority of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And notice what it says. And all these things will be provided to you. But what had happened to them is that they were worried about all these other things. As he mentions here in chapter 1, they're worried about all these other things. And then they're hoping at some point when they have the time, when it's convenient, then we'll add the kingdom of God to our lives. That's not how it works. That's not how it worked in the book of Haggai. That's not how it worked in the New Testament. That's not how it works for us today. He says, you seek first. Kingdom people, they prioritize kingdom work. And when God says obey, in the believer's life, we respond in obedience and say, okay. That's the call on our lives. So what does that look like? Second part of the biblical observation we find in chapter 2. Three things that Haggai, as a mouthpiece for the Lord, is going to say to the people about kingdom work. Three things about kingdom work. What it means to give our lives with Christ as the priority, as the center of our lives, and was true in the lives of Haggai. The first thing about kingdom work is encouragement. 
He's going to encourage them as they have now responded to say, you know what, you're right. We were caring more for our own lives than, than about honoring God and obeying God. And now because that shifted, he's going to give them three things. The first one is encouragement. We see in chapter 2, he, Haggai brings up the reality that some of the people were facing at this moment. And what was happening, we see it in, in chapter 2, verse 3. He asked this question, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Here's what happens. Go with me here, all right? What you have is you have some older people. I'm not going to say what age that is. I'll let you decide, all right? You have some older people who had been in Jerusalem before they went into exile. So they had seen the temple that Solomon built. And then they had seen it be destroyed. And they had gone into captivity. And now God in his grace has brought them back. And now all of a sudden they are going to rebuild the temple. But as they began to rebuild the temple, they go, wait a second. This, this doesn't look near as nice as what we once had. Right? It's like the renovation project that in your mind, it looks just like what you've seen on TV, right? You've seen the home renovation TV show, and you know exactly how this process is supposed to go. And then you begin to go back, and you begin to put it all back together, and you go, wait a second. And so in that place where you have people that are discouraged of, listen, the temple that we're building, it doesn't look near as nice as it once did. It's in that place that God is going to encourage them. Look at me in verse 4 and 5. He says, even so... Even though this new temple doesn't look quite as nice as Solomon's temple that was there before. Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Look at what he says here. Work. Work. For I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. God, in a sense, is saying to them, listen, I recognize that it doesn't look like Solomon's temple. But for the Lord, that didn't hinder him, did it? He says, Zerubbabel, be strong. Joshua, the high priest, be strong. All the people, be strong. And then that call is what? It is to work. It's to get after it. The encouragement that I believe that we see here is, is this, is that the present victories do not depend on past achievements. He's encouraging his people. Present victories don't depend on past achievements. He's saying, don't worry about how things were in the past. If they were really bad, or especially if they were really good, don't worry about that. None of that matters. What matters is now. And he says, now I am with you. And so be encouraged. Be strong and work. What a great reminder for us today. The present victories don't depend on past achievements. If you look at the journey of your life, and you walk in doubt because you don't feel like you have a spiritual resume that you could be used by God, I pray that this passage today would encourage your heart. God wasn't concerned with what Solomon's temple used to look like. What he was concerned about is what God's people were doing with the temple right in front of him. What a great reminder for us as we're on our spiritual journey as an individual. What a great reminder for us as a church. It's no matter what past days look like, good or bad. What matters is today, are we going to trust God and walk by faith?
So he gives them encouragement. The second thing that he gives them here is a promise. It's an incredible promise that he gives them. Look at me in verse 6 through 9. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. You think he's trying to make a point there? How many times did we read the declaration of the Lord of armies? He's saying this isn't coming from anyone else. This is coming from God on high. And what is he saying? I'm going to fill this house with more glory than before. It's a promise that he gives to the people here. A great promise. I think that promise is, is this, is that God blesses obedient effort, not perfect production. He's giving them the promise. Listen, God is going to bless obedient effort, not perfect production. This temple is not going to look like the original one, but that doesn't mean God's not going to bless it. What he's going to bless is that his people are strong and they're working and they're walking by faith, and so God's going to fill it. The last thing that we see here about kingdom work, we see an encouragement, we see promise, and then we see a warning. We see a warning. Haggai's going to use this uh, parable going back to um, the, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. The idea that you would be consecrated and you would be seen as clean or pure before the Lord, but there would be things that you could do or things that you could touch that would cause you to be ceremonially unclean. And so he asked this question to the priest and says, listen, if I'm walking with a piece of consecrated meat and it touches something else, does it make all of that other stuff ceremonial clean? And the priests are like, no, that's not the case. And he says, well, what about if someone is defiled by contact with, with a corpse and they touch these things, does it defile it? And the priests say, yes. And so what he's referencing here, Haggai, as he tells this parable, is he's saying that our personal holiness has an impact. Holiness was not transferable. But this idea of being defiled was transferable. And so the warning we find here is in verse 15. He says, now from this day on, here's the phrase again, think carefully. From this day on, think carefully before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple. What state were you in? Here's the warning that he gives to the people as they think about kingdom work. Busy work doesn't guarantee blessed work. Busy work doesn't guarantee blessed work. Was it an issue that God's people had come back, had built the foundation, and then left it? Yeah, that was an issue. Had God clearly instructed them that it was time to get back to work? Absolutely. But God is making clear that the condition comes that, listen, I'm not asking you to be busy. I'm asking you to be holy. And so as you work, as you live out this kingdom life that we're called to, make sure you're not just concerning yourself with what's happening on the inside, but that more importantly, you're dealing with what's happening on the inside. Busy work doesn't guarantee blessed work. God is only going to bless it if their hearts are right before the Lord. We see that he's going to lay out through um, 
these next couple of verses, the, the, the reality of some divine judgment that he had brought on the people because they were not walking in a way that honored the Lord. But then we see in verse 19, he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. You walk in holiness. You live your life by faith. Doesn't mean you're perfect. We know that mess ups and mistakes are going to come along the way. But when those moments come, we respond by faith in repentance to God and say, God, I'm turning from that. I'm going to keep chasing you. I'm going to keep following you. And God says, when we live that way, there is blessing that comes. And so in this biblical observation of the book of Haggai, kingdom people prioritize kingdom work and an encouragement, and a promise, and a warning for us of what it looks like as we work. Let's look at third base, gospel revelation. Where do we see Jesus in the book of Haggai? Well, an easy connection for us is the over and over call from the Lord to his people, specifically in Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. It says, uh, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people, I am with you. I'm with you is a reminder of God's presence among his people. It, for some of us in here, maybe many of us in here, it takes our minds uh, to what we know about Christ as he would come in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It tells us, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name, his, name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. But as we begin to really consider the book of Haggai, here's what I love is that we truly see this remarkable picture, I think, of what God was doing in redemption through Christ. Look with me at the very end of the book, verse 20 down through verse 23. We're going to see Haggai make a shift here from speaking to all the people to just speaking to Zerubbabel. Now, we've seen here that Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah. This was a civil leadership role. There wasn't a king at this moment, but if there would have been a king, it would have been Zerubbabel. And listen to what he says here specifically to Zerubbabel, beginning in verse 22. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the brother's sword. And on that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Now listen, when God says this through Haggai to Zerubbabel, he's saying so much more than just what we read. If you look at what he says there, he uses some interesting phrases. He says there of Zerubbabel, he is my servant. He is his chosen one. He says here that you're like my signet ring. This was the ring that a, that a leader would wear with their mark on it and that they would put it in wax or in clay that would, would show their divine authority or their appointment, right? And so when he says to Zerubbabel here, listen, Zerubbabel, I'm going to do this to the nations. And you, Zerubbabel, are going to be my signature ring, or my signet ring. I think what God is saying here to Zerubbabel is that, listen, the line of David, the one in which the Messiah will come, even though this great exile has happened, the promise of God sending one through the line of David has not stopped. And if we go over back to the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12, we see the lineage of Jesus and it says in Matthew 1.12, after the exile to Babylon, 
Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, and Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. You see, in the midst of all of what God was doing, even taking his people into exile by the Babylonians who would be overtaken by the Persians, who would bring them back into the promised land, that in all of that, God's promise to provide one who would come and rule on his throne forever, that promise had not ended. And we know ultimately that that is found in the person of Christ and what he is doing. And so today, when we look even at the book of Haggai, it reminds us that there is more to life than just living in our paneled houses. There is more to life than just what we're experiencing. It points our eyes up to the heavens and reminds us that God is God and he is in control of all things. And he is the one. That in his love for you and to be faithful to who he is as being a just and loving and merciful God would send Christ to come and to die for our sins. So that we could be forgiven of that sin. That we could be restored to God in a right relationship by faith, by trust. That even though God was doing a lot of things, he was still being faithful to his promise. And our hope today is that that promise is extended to us. Let me give you home base here, some life application. Three things for life application from the book of Haggai. Number one, what we place in first place becomes obvious in our lives. What we place in first place becomes obvious in our lives. It had become obvious to the Lord. It had become obvious to Haggai. What was the priority of the people of Israel at that time? It was themselves. And dads, I want to give you an encouragement today. I don't know where you find yourself today. I can't change what yesterday looked like or the last 10 or the last 15 years of you being a father, but here's what I can encourage you with. You have the opportunity to shape between this Father's Day and next Father's Day. And I can tell you there's not a greater legacy. There's not a greater impact that you could have on your children or your grandchildren than for a year from now for them, for your kids, your grandkids, when asked the question, over this last year, what has dad or granddad prioritized in their life? For them to be able to say, without exception, the Lord. The Lord. They've seen it in the way that you've talked. They've seen it in the way that you've given your time. They've seen it in the way that you've served. They've seen it in every facet of your life. The thing that we place in first place will become obvious in our lives. And so, Dad, let me encourage you today. Can't change yesterday. But today and tomorrow. Would it be the priority of our lives and would that be evident? Second thing is this. We can be strong in the work of the Lord and bold in his calling. For some of you, God has put a a, a dream in your heart. He's put a burden on your life for something that he's called you to do. And for whatever reason, you've shrunk back. You've convinced yourself you're not good enough. You've convinced yourself you don't have the spiritual resume that it takes. You've convinced yourself that it's not making a difference. And today, you hear the encouragement of God that says, work. I'm with you. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep pressing in to what it is that God has called you to do. The last thing today is this. The last life application. God's promises give a measurable hope for the future. They give a measurable hope for the future. To see what God is going to do here and the promise that he's going to give to Zerubbabel should give us great encouragement. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know what 10,000 years from now brings. And for the believer in Christ, it is one of great, great hope. The book of Haggai, it calls us. It allows us to see 
It speaks to our hearts to remind us that in the believer's life, kingdom work is the priority. And over and over and over again, it calls us to think carefully. I invite you to do that today. As you think about your faith journey, as you think about this moment, if God were to step into your life, whether it was through the prophet Haggai or somebody else, and were to observe the reality of where you find yourself today, would we be able to respond to the call that we hear there to think carefully? You know, there's a lot of things in my life I don't have to think carefully about. Just not. I, I just know. I just know I need to do it. But there are some things in my life I do need to think carefully about. When I'm picking out a gift for someone I care about, I need to think carefully about that, don't I? Right now you're thinking, especially if it's for me. Yeah, Michael, I want you to think carefully about it, right? Here's the reality of today. I said, you know what, for Father's Day, I think I want to go see a movie. I said, I'm just going to, I just want to go to a movie. And so I decided I'm going to go to a movie. And let's say I go to that movie and it's the worst movie I've ever seen. What have I lost? Two hours and about 20 bucks probably. (laughs) I really haven't lost much, have I? And so when it comes to watching a movie, I really don't need to think that carefully about it. I mean, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my money. But, but if I get it wrong, I haven't lost much. What about where I'm going to spend forever when I step off of this earth into eternity? If I get that wrong, if I don't think carefully about that, what have I lost? Everything. What about for those that are that would say today with confidence, Michael, I know I've responded to, to God by faith. I've trusted in Christ. I've turned from my sin. What if I don't think carefully about the direction of my life? What have I lost? It may not be everything, but it may mean that you get to the end of your life and you look back and you think about, man, what did I waste? How many days went by that I didn't live for his kingdom? I don't want to experience that. And I think you don't either. So today in response to God's word, in response to what we've experienced through the worship, through the reading of his word, through prayer, could I just encourage you today to think carefully. Would you bow your heads to me today? And I want to give you a moment to do just that. Maybe today you're in this room and you just feel almost like the hand of God knocking on your heart. Because you know when it comes to your relationship with him, you've never really thought deeply about where you stand before him. Sure, you've heard it. You've attended church. You can maybe even tell me the story. But you've never been willing to think carefully about what this faith journey looks like for you. Maybe today is the day that you need to respond by faith to put your trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says that in doing that, God will forgive us of our sin and that we can become a child of God. Maybe today you need to think carefully about what your faith journey has looked like. Maybe today you find yourself like those Israelites that 
Man, you just kind of taken this faith journey and living for the kingdom and you've kind of taken that coat off and you hung it on the rack and you're just going about life. And today through God's word, he's reminding you, if you call yourself a kingdom person, the kingdom people prioritize kingdom work. And today you need to think carefully about putting that coat back on and getting back in the game. Father, today, we're thankful for a book like Haggai. That it's so easy for us to look into this book and see ourselves. To see the moments, the seasons in life where we're just over time, we become preoccupied with lesser things. Not necessarily bad things, just lesser things. And as we do, what was once preoccupied in our lives now becomes prioritized in our lives. And today we're grateful for your word that allows us to see that we're not on an island in this. It's a reality of sin in our life. But we hear the mercy of God that calls us back to what's most important. And today, God, I pray that we would respond like Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and all the people that when they heard, when it was brought to their attention, when they would think carefully about it, they said, God, we need to obey. It needs to be the priority in our life. So God, would it be said for the people of First West, for the people that are in this room that are listening today, that in our lives, in the believer's life, we prioritize kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.